Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to talk about at least what I've titled the doctrine of insecure salvation. And there is not just one doctrine that causes people to live in constant fear. There are several, and we're not going to address them. This isn't necessarily about exposing those false doctrines and all their nuances and all those things. Uh, There are doctrines out there like unconditional election, where they teach within that doctrine that God has predetermined, has predestined a certain number of people that will be saved from before the foundation of the earth. And there is nothing that you personally can do to alter or change that in any way. That is false for so many reasons. The fact that that would make God a respecter of persons, Romans 2 and verse 11 says he's not. The fact that that takes any opportunity of salvation out of your hands and out of my hands when the scriptures clearly put salvation as a choice for you. Uh, We we look at scriptures like Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, contextually talking about Jesus as the high priest as though he were a son, yet learned your obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Then there's other doctrines where there are people out there telling you, you can't live faithfully. It's impossible to live faithfully. So as you study your Bible and you read about sin and the consequences of sin being uh, spiritual death, Romans 6, 23, Revelation 21, 8, uh, for example, then you're living in fear. You're thinking, am I going to be good enough to make it? Am I going to be good enough to make it? This preacher or whoever or whatever uh, this person is keeps telling me, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you read the scriptures and it says something opposite of what you're hearing. Then there's there's truth. There's scriptures that on their own, without any false twist, are just outright troubling. Like First Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19 says, The time has come that judgment, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely, and that that means barely, be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So verse 18 gets to be the scary point. You know, the righteous are scarcely or barely saved. And and it's like, oh, you know, I'm barely hanging on on a thread that's ready to break. Now, one of the things that is forgotten is, is that you can commit the keeping of your soul unto our faithful creator, the very next verse. Uh, But that becomes easy to overlook. So there are many different directions, and many of which I didn't even name, wherein fear is brought about in that I'm going to obey God, but what are my chances to be saved? Listen, salvation is not a lottery. And faith isn't a, 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 a state of constant fear and doubt. It's quite the opposite. And it's a shame to me that people obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and they feel insecure. So I want to talk about that. I want, I want us to get into not necessarily the all of the all, many, many doctrines out there that would cause people to think that way, because there are many, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that there's 144,000 that are saved and and all kinds of nuances to that doctrine. And you hear all these things and you start to wonder, what about me? What about me? No, we want to take that fear away. So if you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll talk about if you haven't uh, before we get through this podcast. But if you have, we want to talk about faith. We want to talk about things that that give us a sense of security, not insecurity. Faith, for example, is about being fully persuaded. In Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations." Before him whom he believed, even God, 
who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet that deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that he had promised he was also able to perform. Think about Abraham here and what's written to him, written about him in Romans 4. He wasn't weak in faith. He didn't look at the physical, which would bring about doubt. He didn't stagger at the promise of God because that is unbelief. Rather, he was fully persuaded. He believed that God's promise would be fulfilled. That full persuasion causes you to act in a certain way, just like doubt causes you to act in a certain way. You know, people that are constantly tossed about and, and are unsure and, and wavering to and fro. And in, in that kind of fear, there's no stability in that. Not only is there not a sense of security, there just isn't stability because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James 1 and verse 8. On the other hand, with faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not, as yet, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. It's not insecure. It's, hey, I have faith. I know that when God says he's going to do something, even though it's never happened before, he's going to cause it to rain and flood, and we've never seen this. I know because God said it, it's going to happen. Faith isn't based on sight. Go back and listen to Sunday's podcast in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Noah believed. He acted. Sometimes acting in faith seems like an extreme to unbelievers. Consider when Paul's giving his defense in Acts chapter 26, 13 through 29, where he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and then was journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance." For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. See what faith did? Faith caused Paul 
to give the account of his conversion, which seems like an insane tale. And then to tell him what Jesus expected of him, to go and teach the gospel to the Jews, to the Gentiles, all the things that Paul's supposed to do. And it's like, you're, much learning doth make you crazy. You, you've, you've got your head in the wrong places, is the idea there. Well, faith doesn't care what other people think. There's no insecurity there. There's no doubt there. I don't care what I sound like to you. I'm going to tell you the truth because I believe it and am fully persuaded of it, even if you think I'm absolutely insane or out of my mind. That's faith. That's what we see in Paul. Paul, later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, says, For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me of his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life, and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Notice why. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul knew this is the opposite of Israel in the past, though. There's a psalm in Psalm 78, 17 through 22. Hear how they're the opposite of Paul. It, the text says, They sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Look, they had doubts. Can God do this? Can God do? Well, God said he was going to. Why do you doubt? You doubt because you don't believe. It's a faith problem. The heart of unbelief is an apostate heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, to you Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7 through chapter 4 and verse 2. And if you wanted to go back and get the original text, the account that we're going to be talking about back in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. So Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 2 reads this. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, said, they do all we err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest they promise being left of us entering into rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They just didn't believe. We learn from that. This is the, you know this text that I just read, written to Christians, um, who in the first century, who are being told, look back at what they did, 
they couldn't enter into the promised land, those that died in the wilderness, because of unbelief, that evil heart of unbelief. So it's in your control. You, We as Christians exhort one another daily, lest anybody's hardened to the deceitfulness of sins, because you're made partakers of Christ. Did you hear that when he said it in verse 14? If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So as you were when you obeyed the gospel and were sure and persuaded that your sins would be washed away, that you would be added to his body, that you would have the hope of eternal life. So you must continue in that until the end. You do not want to be the person who's just walking around with your head all down all the time saying, I hope that when Jesus comes that he'll allow me in. You can have confidence and sometimes people are afraid of that. You know, there are scriptures that that give us warning about pride and arrogancy or the, about being overly confident, like, like in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Yeah, we don't want to be overconfident in ourselves, but we want to be confident in the fact that God will keep his promises if we live according to his will. We don't want to walk around always worrying. If Jesus comes today, am I saved or not? Am I saved or not? Will I be saved or not? Will I be saved or not? Am I going to be in heaven or am I going to be in hell? And 1 John, I love this book. It's a great study. Every time I'm studying a book, I'm teaching through 1 John here right now in El Paso. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 says, this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. In verses 19 to 20 of 1 John 5, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. And eternal life. We can know, have confidence, not, not a lottery type of confidence, not uh, some kind of far-fetched hope, but knowledge of our salvation. Faithful Christians should not fear, but should be confident. If the trumpet of the Lord were to sound right now and you're obeying the will of God, you know where you're going to spend eternity. In 1 John 2, 28 and 29, says, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Later in this epistle, in 1 John 4, 14 through 19, says, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we know and have believed the love that God had to us. God is love, and he that dwell in love dwell in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Fear is terrible. To walk around and to constantly think, I'm not measuring up. I'm not measuring. Well, are you doing what the Lord expects you to do? Yes, then you're measured up. What are you afraid of? Have that confidence. Um, in a great context, I love 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going I'm to rob from that, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7, to talk about this confidence. Uh, Paul here is telling the Corinthians for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice that. He didn't say, for we hope blindly. He said, we know. He's not sitting here writing this letter and thinking, well, I want to talk about eternal life, but I'm not real sure of it. Timothy is with him excuse me, at the writing of this letter. So for we know, Paul and Timothy know that if their physical bodies were to perish, 
Going back in the context, they're troubled on every side, facing persecution. But they're taking hope in what is eternal, not in what is carnal. He goes on, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 7, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. It's so that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that, while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So as long as Paul and Timothy had that earthly tabernacle, the external flesh that they lived upon, lived, lived within, they knew that when that flesh was to be gone, their spirit would go forward and eternity with our Lord was what was in the end. They didn't talk in terms of, we're waiting to see. We sure, we sure do hope. Yeah, hope is part of, of the process of faith. But it's not hope the way of people use that word. A lot of people use that word like, I hope my favorite football team will win this game. Oh, like yesterday, you know, a lot of people, or Sunday rather, a lot of people were watching football, Monday night football yesterday, or Saturday, watching their college football team. They might hope their team is going to win. But there's nothing that would give them full confidence of what's going to happen. You know, the star players of their favorite football team could have come down with some virus right before the game began. And, you know, third string players come in and get mopped up by a team that they should have destroyed. You know, the way the word hope is used is like the lottery effect. Like, you know, I hope I win. I hope I win. I've got a one in two trillion or whatever uh, chance of, of winning. Not, not with our Lord. We can have confidence. We can know. If we are obedient, Jesus says, we abide in his love. In John 14, 21 through 24, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him. Well, manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not a scared, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come unto him, make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye have heard, what ye hear, is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So we know, if you have and keep his commandments, the instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Father, then you have a relationship with God. John 15, 10, the next chapter says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, and even though I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's not one foot in and one foot out. It's you're all the way in. You're keeping the will of the Father. The language in the scriptures is that you might have right to the tree of life. Revelation 22, 14 says, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. So the question really comes down to, do you believe that? Do you believe the promises that came out of Jesus' mouth? Do you see the confidence in Paul and Timothy? Do you understand what it is to look forward to eternal life with faith, to walk by faith, not by sight? Because God made the promise. In 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. He's writing to Christians. You have the promise of eternal life. Within the language of the promises, there is an embedded nature of security. In John 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. That is, it's within your possession. Yes, you're not saved yet. You go back and listen to yesterday's podcast again, or not yesterday, Sunday's podcast, 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. I'm recording this on Monday, so keep thinking of yesterday being Sunday. Uh, but you go back and you listen to the podcast on 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yes, it's in front of you, but you possess it now. You have your ticket, so to speak. 
In John chapter 6, verses 45 through 47, Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, they shall, they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has, he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. It, see, it's, it's secured. It's not insecured, right? You, you have it. It's in your possession. Now, you can give it up, but that's your choice. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in this podcast. You can choose not to go to heaven, but if you desire it and you're living in accordance with the will of God, it is your eternal destination is full well in your control. In Romans 6, 22, being now made free from sin, become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. It's within your possession. Nobody aside from you. Let me let me let me give this. Let me give you a couple scriptures, so that you're not holding on too long. And we'll come back to a little bit more on a similar point later. But in Second John verse eight, it says, "Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward." Look to yourselves that we lose not the things which we have wrought, but that we have a full reward. It's like you're carrying that football. You can hold on to it or you can drop it. Nobody's going to knock it out of your hands. If you're a New York Giants fan, sorry to be happy about this, but I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan and I got to watch that ball come out of some hands. This isn't that. Nobody is punching the ball. Nobody is going to be able to reach and grab salvation and take it from you. It's within your possession. It does not come down to how hold you tight or how tightly you hold it. It comes down to whether or not you want to hold it. And Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It is up to you. Stay in the place. Stay in Christ that ye may know that ye have eternal life. If you want to walk out, that's up to you. But nobody can take you and carry you away. Nobody has the ability to change that. John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them, to, unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Nobody's coming and grabbing you away from the Lord and taking you to eternal damnation. That is within your control. And you know, in John 10, 29, the very next verse says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Look at Jesus' statement there. Nobody's going to take you away from our Lord. Nobody's going to take you out of His promises. Only you. You keep it, you're good to go. Well, that comes down to, do you trust the promises of God or not? Do you trust everything that we just read? John 3, 36, John 6, 45 and 47, Romans 6, 22. Do you trust that? Can you trust the promises of God? In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, let's talk about what, what the Bible teaches about God. It says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. If you've ever studied the Old Testament, what you learn in the Old Testament is that God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their fathers following, that through their seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Made promises like unto David that Christ would be on his throne. When you read through Abraham, frustrating to God, Isaac, Jacob, you read about uh, the children of Israel, literally his sons and, and the book of Genesis, as well as the descendants and the tribes to come, they regularly disappointed God. And reason would say 
that the almighty creator would get so frustrated with him that he would utterly destroy them from the face of the earth and start all over again. He could say, I'm God. I'm deciding to break my promise. You know what's wonderful, though, when you study the Old Testament? You see that he's God and he kept his promises. Even when man tried his level best to overthrow everything that God had promised to those that would come thereafter, God kept his end of that promise and saw it through that Christ came into the world through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc. Saw it through. Even David failed. You know, he, he numbered Israel against the will of God. He sinned with Bathsheba and murdering or seeing to the, the death of her husband. I mean, terrible things that were done, but God made promises. He kept them. When you read through all of that, you get confidence. You know that when God says something, that it's going to be true. You might look at the world right now and say, look how evil it is. Well, listen, Jesus said few would be saved, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, and Luke 13, 23 and 24. He said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth, Luke 18, 8. What is happening in the world is not a surprise to God. So God is not going to sit back and say, you know what? I know that I said eternal life could be to those that obey, but forget it. I don't want any human beings in eternity. You know how we know he's not going to say that? Because he keeps his promises. As frustrating as humanity has been now for thousands of years. Psalm 89, 34 my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. The Almighty is not going to get so frustrated that he's going to go back on his word. In Titus, Paul writes him, an evangelist, says, Titus 1, 1 and 2, Paul, the servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Why can he not lie? I mean, it's because it's not in his nature. He is just. He is faithful. He is holy. Can't do it. In Hebrews chapter 10, 22 and 23, after chapter 9 and 10, talking about Jesus being the, the great sacrifice, says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold the profession of our faith without wavering. Notice why. For he is faithful that promised. If you're doing the will of the Lord, believe and be sure. It's interesting. There's a time where... There were a lot of people following Jesus in John 6, and, and I read out of, out of the context uh, already in our podcast, we, we've already looked at John 6, we looked at verses 45 and 40 through 47. If you go a little bit further down into John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69, it says, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? What nephew shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given to him of my Father. From that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have to believe and be sure that he is the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And far beyond what Peter was, because Peter had doubts that you get to later see, uh, especially uh, in the resurrection of our Lord. We, we need to be beyond that. We have a full assurance. In Hebrews chapter 6, 9 through 12, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, things that accompany salvation. Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We, we have that full assurance of hope unto the end, not, not to be lazy, but no, we're going to inherit the promises. Now, we need to talk about the other side of the coin, though. There are people that should be concerned. Who are the people that should be concerned? The people that should be concerned are the people that are not obeying the will of the Lord. Now, and, and we're going to put this all into one category here. Whether you've ever been immersed into Christ to become a Christian, there's much more into becoming a Christian than immersion. But just for the sake of time, just for simplicity's sake, you got those in the scriptures that hearing, believe, and were baptized, like the Corinthians, Acts 18 and verse 8. But some of them fell, failed. There was a fornicator in Corinth. He was even to be removed from the congregation in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. So there's initial obedience where you become a child of God. You become a Christian. You walk away from the world. You walk away from your past sins. You have them forgiven through Christ. You become a child of God, but you have to keep on being faithful. So whether you initially obeyed and become a Christian or not, if you're disobeying God, there are reasons to be concerned. Speaking about Christians in Hebrews 10, 26-31, says, If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, there's not a plan B. Jesus is the plan, okay? What you do have to look forward to is what the Hebrew writer continues and says, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So who is in fear here? Those that have sinned. Those that aren't faithful. In Hebrews 12, 25, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So who has something to fear here? Those that reject him who speaks from above, him being Christ. You reject his will. There are reasons to fear. Now, if you've never obeyed the gospel, do something about that. Again, in simple form, I'd want to talk to you, have a Bible study with you. Um, you don't want to just tell people, this is what you do to be saved, as though that generically applies to everybody. I'm going to give you a for example. In Acts 3.19, Peter is preaching, says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's real simple to just repeat that. But that looks different for different people. What if you have never heard about Jesus Christ and who he is, that he is the only begotten of the Father, that he is deity, that he is from above? You have to believe that, John 8, 23 and 24. You have to believe that he is from above. You have to believe in who Christ is. There are people that have been taught about Jesus and have been taught that he was, when he came to earth, just a man. That's false. In the flesh, he was God, Romans 9, 1 through 5. 
So they've never been taught the truth about who Jesus is. So everything they did after that, their faith and everything else is false. It's in falsehood. They could be baptized 455,000 times. They'd still be wet unbelievers. So I'd want to talk to you and make sure you have actually heard the truth that is required of someone to know and believe before they can be a Christian. And make sure that you understand that. In the parable of the sower, Jesus makes a statement that I think has been passed over for many, many years by those that think they're preachers. He said in Matthew 13, 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and cast away that which is sown in his heart. This is, the, this is he which receives seed by the wayside. This person heard the word, but didn't understand it. So that word never, ever produced anything. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. I've known people that have heard the gospel, but didn't understand it, and have gone through a process that did not make them Christians and had to be taught afresh. So I wouldn't want to just give you this simple, do this, 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 and this, and you'll be saved. There's more to it, and it would come down to you. And then there's sometimes even more to the, to, to the terms that we talk about, like repentance. What's repentance look like for somebody who's an alcoholic versus what does repentance look like for someone who, is, who, who has committed sin but the sin that they've committed is that they've lied multiple times in their life about various things. But that's it. Their transgression is lying. Well, the liar has an easier road, unfortunately, unless they're a habitual liar, unless they're really addicted to it, because all they need to do is stop lying. The alcoholic is going to have a struggle. The alcoholic is going to stop drinking but that desire is going to stay within them. And you're going to, we're going to have to study about how you know, that desire may be in you. You may want that drink. That doesn't make you a sinner. It's if you go and get that drink that it makes you a sinner, James 1, 13 through 16. We might have to study different texts like that. So it's a different Bible study for different people. If a person has obeyed the gospel, you are a Christian, and you're in error, you need to do something about that. You need to confess that sin. Repent of it. You know, even in the Old Testament, this was taught. In Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. See, now, we're, here it is. You can confess and repent, and you can know that your salvation is secured. In 1 John 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just, forgives our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can have that assurance. And, and there are times where that conversation is that simple. But then there are times, like the initial obedience to the gospel, where that conversation is not that simple. Think about a conversion account in Acts 8. In Acts 8, 13 through 24, it says, Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Simon so and then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Now, 1 John 1, 9 is cut and dry. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive our sins. But what about Simon whose heart was not right in the sight of God? What about his confession? See, Peter didn't give him that assurance. There was doubts in Simon. His life before a Christian, he was a sorcerer and he tricked the people. If you go back and you begin in Acts 8, 5 and read the whole account 
Obviously, he hasn't walked away from that. See how that's a different conversation than someone who has forsook the assembling of the saints on a Sunday and a brother uh, approaches them and, and, and talks to them about it and converts the sinner from his way, James 5, 19 and 20. And he's able to look at that brother and say, now, you know, repent, confess, God will forgive you. And the fruit is seen easily. He's there. Next, the next time the saints assemble, the next time the saints assemble, the next time the saints assemble, etc. It, it's simpler. Not so much when it's a matter of the heart, right? The thing you must not do is wait. Our Lord comes as a thief in the night. In Mark 13, 31 through 37, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch ye, and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or in the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Be prepared. Be prepared. If you're not right, get right now. And then know you're right. So that when Christ comes, you have that full assurance that we've been talking about in this podcast. And for those of you that are in doubt, something comes to mind here to me. There are people, and I preached a lesson years ago. I don't know if there's an audio sermon of it online or not. I would have to search my website. I think it was a really long time ago, though. Uh, I preached a sermon titled, Walking on the Guardrail. There are people that like to live on the edge. Don't be that person. There are reasons to fear if you're constantly playing with temptation. If you're constantly out there putting yourself in spiritual harm's way. When you think about the power that temptation has, Luke 8, 13 talks about they on the rock. When they hear, they receive the word with joy, have no root, which for a while believe, these are believers, in time of temptation fall away. Sometimes there are people that think they're stronger than they are and they play with fire and they get eternally burnt. Don't be that person. Oh, one of the things you'll see as we go through our First Peter study and the Sunday podcast is really in First Peter 2 and verse 5 through chapter 4 and verse 19, there's, there's this, this greater lesson of living above reproach. You want to be the person who doesn't play with fire. You want to be the person who lives above reproach. And when you do that, you have confidence. You know that if Jesus comes right now, you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Make the corrections you need to make. And I want you to think about this as we come towards our close. For the faithful, if I'm keeping in his love, I'm following his word, I have this confidence, and I love this. I held this to the end because I want to come back to it. I want us to think about the assurance we as faithful Christians can have. In Romans 8, 28 through 39, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, how do you know you love God? You keep His commandments, right? John 14, 15. To them who are called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that just means he foreknew. Them also he called, and whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall not he with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is on the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. 
We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, any doctrine that teaches the faithful to be insecure about their salvation is false. When you know you're doing His will, you know you will be saved. And nothing is going to change that. You have that power. Will you exercise it? If you've got things to get right, if you need to be initially converted or brought back, whatever it is, will you do it? I'd love to help you. Call me up at 915-525-5794. We can have conversations. You know, there are things that, that people have done that, that they just thought are insurmountable. Well, the blood of Christ washes away sins, even insurmountable sins as we picture them. And we can be washed by His blood to be pure, clean, holy, perfect in His sight. And it's wonderful that we through the Scriptures know that. We don't just, the way the world uses the word hope, hope that. We know that. We have full assurance. You can visit my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me from there, but let's talk. If I can help you, I'd love to help you through the Scriptures. Point out to you verse by verse. You can raise your questions, your challenges. Talk to me about the things that you're afraid of. And we, through the Scriptures, can help you get in a position where you have full confidence. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, the next podcast will be on Sunday, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I say goodbye.